Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The following program was recorded live at the 2019 ATA Management Conference and Exhibition in San Diego. This is Transport Topics Roadshow, the program that takes you to far out places to meet the most interesting people in freight. Today's episode is brought to you by Stone Ridge. We're here in San Diego at ATA's 2019 Management Conference and Exhibition, and I'm very excited to welcome Ognan Stoyanovsky, co-founder and chief operating officer at Pronto AI, a developer of automated driving technology for commercial trucks. Thanks for joining us, Ognan. Thanks very much for having me. Excited to be here. Now, Pronto's approach to automated trucks is quite different from some of the other self-driving truck startups that are out there testing on the road. This is strictly a driver assist system that supports but doesn't replace the driver. So why go that route instead of trying to push for higher levels of automation? We're trying to go that route, I mean, as a starting point because that's where the technology is today. So where we are with machine learning, artificial intelligence, whatever you want to call it, automation, we've had a lot of great demos, a lot of good progress has been made, especially over the last five years. Um, but the technology is still quite a ways away where an autonomous truck can operate driverless down the interstate. Um, so we could wait for that to become a reality someday and wait for the scientific breakthroughs, of which you know we're working on as well. But at the end of the day, the technology is at a state where it's good enough to be commercialized and provide some immediate value, not as a driver replacement tool, but as a driver retention, driver recruiting, and a safety tool as well. And so uh, that's that's a real motivation, trying to do a real product for real customers today, given where the, sta- the state of the technology actually is. Okay. And tell us a little bit more about how your co-pilot system works. You know, what can it do and what can't it do? Sure. So co-pilot, uh, in a nutshell, it brings to trucking something that passenger vehicles or at least high-end luxury passenger vehicles have had for a while, which is you know really, really good automatic emergency braking, um, full adaptive cruise control, uh, proactive lane centering, so the truck will steer and stay in the middle of the lane um, by itself. But what it won't do, what it, what it is not, is a fully autonomous truck. This is, you know, in sort of industry jargon, a level two type system, which means it requires a fully attentive driver at all times to supervise it. So, you know, it will it will do throttle, braking, and steering um, on extended periods of time on the highways. It's a highway-only system, so it won't work off, off, off highways um, right now. Um, but, it, again, given where trucks are um, off the lot right now, you know, they, they just don't quite have the same safety and comfort features that have existed in, you know, really high-end passenger vehicles for a while now. We're trying to bring that kind of safety and that kind of comfort to, uh, you know, some of the hardest-working drivers, which is the truck drivers and not just you know, high-end consumers. Right. And as you said, Pronto's co-pilot system represents level two automated driving. And really that means that there's automatic steering, braking, and acceleration, but it still requires a driver to remain engaged at all times. The driver is still driving. Uh, But your system doesn't just uh, require the driver to, to monitor the road. It actively insists on it. So could you please explain how Copilot ensures that the driver doesn't just stop paying attention and go back in the sleeper berth and, and relax? And, you know, how, and why is that so critical? Well, it's critical because, like I said, the technology is not at a point where a driver can actually not pay attention and check out for a while or have a driverless truck or anything like that. So it's very important that people, when they first use the system, 
that they understand not just what the system can do, but also what it can't do, which is be operate safely while unsupervised. And so there's a few ways we try to go about that. Um, one of which is great, actually, the trucking industry is a great adopter of these technologies because unlike the consumer space where you maybe have gadget enthusiasts that want to sort of push the limits and think they have a really cool car and therefore maybe pretend they have a robot car before they really do, in trucking we have driver training requirements, uh, good education. So I think working with fleet safety managers, um, with fleet owners, with the drivers themselves, uh, there's a really critical training component to it that I actually has been lacking, I think, in the passenger vehicle space, which is why there's been so, some issues there with, with this level of technology. And I think trucking is really well positioned to capture the benefits while avoiding some of those potential pitfalls because it is somebody on their job working for their livelihood, so they take it potentially more seriously than maybe even you and I do when we just run errands around town. Um, and uh, there's no substitute for good training and good safety training, which this industry has really good practices that we can just plug into and add this in. So that's the operational uh, piece of how we right. ensure that it's properly used. Then there's a technological component to it too, which is a bit of a you know driver monitoring type system where you you want to 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 we have an inward facing camera. And again, this is sort of flexible exactly how it works. We're in early days. We can talk about that if you want. But the, the, the basic way to approach it is at least in these early days is to make sure. Um, we, we, we track to make sure cell phones are not being used um, and that the driver is in the seat and, um, and you know, paying attention, uh, forward-looking at all times. Yeah, watching the road and, and yeah. performing, you know, typical yeah. mirror checks and, and, do, and yeah. doing the job of yeah. driving. So the there's, a, there's a technical component to it. There's a, you know, a camera, a technological piece to it. But again, like I said, I think a lot of it comes down to actually an operational solution, which is working with great drivers and working with great fleets, being selective about who we work with and, and doing that safety training before we, before we put it out on the roads. So I was able to go for a ride along in one of your trucks a couple months ago in Virginia and you know one aspect of the system that really stood out to me was the safe landing feature. So if a driver is unresponsive for a certain amount of time, the truck will actually slow down and, and pull over to the side of the road automatically. Uh, so it's a really interesting safety net in the case the driver becomes incapacitated for some reason or simply uh, doesn't pay attention and stops driving. Uh, why is that such a significant step for a system like yours? Yeah, well, we were really excited to show you that. Thanks again for coming out. Um, yeah, safe landing is a feature that we're really excited about. And I just want to be clear, you know, that's still um, in the early days. It's it's really moving the whole industry along. So I mentioned Copilot. Um, the existing functionality is comparable to what we've seen in some luxury vehicles. But this doesn't exist anywhere, right? Nobody's been able to do safe landing so far, whether it's in the passenger vehicle, luxury car space, or anywhere else. Right? The ability to actually recognize that a driver is non-responsive, um, detect a, a shoulder and then pull over and safely stop, that's, that's groundbreaking, right? We think that's a game changer as far as making sure that we capture all the potential safety benefits without, without taking some unnecessary risks. Um, you know, that is not something that we'll be able to put on all roads in all conditions, just to be clear, all at once. Um, at its core system, Copilot, if there's an undetected driver, it will just put on the hazards and come to a stop. But increasingly, we're trying to develop a system that we work on uh, to have the functionality we showed you. We're in, in you know, initially limited settings on certain freeways, but over time, more and more, uh, we will be able to detect a clear shoulder ahead. And if it's safe enough to do so, pull over and stop. And it doesn't just do it immediately, right, to be clear. Right. There's a series of increasing alarms that give the driver a chance to re-engage. Uh, to take over to show that they are indeed alert, just in case maybe the system was wrong and thought they were unresponsive when they were. But if you know, after a certain time has elapsed and increasing alarms and you experience them, they get pretty loud and annoying. If somebody's <laughs> still not taking over at that point, uh, it's probably safest for the vehicle to come to a stop, whether that means coming to a stop in the lane or pulling over if there's uh, if there's space and it's safe enough to do so. Sure. 
So one more uh, nuts and bolts question about how your system works. You know, today you're, you're retrofitting your, your technology on existing trucks. Uh, explain how that works and also how what you see as the pathway toward uh, a factory fit version of the technology. Sure. Um, I mean, an initial point for commercialization is through aftermarket retrofits, which, you know, trucking is great for that because there's a well-established process. Um, but ultimately, you know, OEM integration is something we're interested in doing, we think we'll be able to do. It's it's really where we're neutral to it. There's a large segment of the carriers that buy trucks directly from dealerships and from you know from the OEMs, and there's many many carriers that buy secondhand trucks. And so we wanted to be able to possible to serve all, that entire segment rather than wait for the whole brand new fleet to turn over. Uh, so for some 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 folks, piloting our technology as an aftermarket retrofit will be good, but then actually scaling it, they'll want to do through an OEM. For others, they'll want to just actually do an aftermarket retrofit so that they can maybe. Uh, get the latest features, the best safety features, without having to buy a brand new truck with all the other bells and whistles that maybe maybe are not right for their fleet, right? So if they just prioritize, if they just want the latest, greatest safety tech without needing to buy a new truck. Um, so you know, trucking's you know very fragmented, as you know. Right. And so we're trying to serve as many aspects of it as possible. And the initial entry point is aftermarket retrofits, but we'll see where it goes. Very good. Now, you're already in the process of installing these systems on trucks operated by some of your early customers. Can you tell us a little bit more about where you are right now in the commercialization process of Copilot? Um, so, I mean, like you said, that's where we are. We're in the early days of starting to put our tech onto some customers' trucks um, and getting it out there. We've had, you know, a number of customers, you, you know, we've been uh, traveling the country. We've actually driven through all over 48 states. Our tech works on highways everywhere in six Canadian pro provinces. Um, Soon to be, soon to be, forty-nine states actually, um, and uh, but but you know that's you know we're not announcing any of our customer partnerships yet. Um, it's still early days, you know. It's 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 initial testing. Uh, we're really trying to get customer feedback uh, so that we can finalize the feature set for the mass market solution, which we'll be rolling out um, afterwards. And so the question is, we're trying to make a product not that we're pushing and trying to convince people that this is the feature set you want. It's more. Uh, trying to get feedback from these early customers. What is the thing, what is the killer app of our system that actually adds the most value to their business right now? And that might mean adding some features that we're thinking of as sort of in betas, as prototyping, including safe landing, as we demo to you. Does that make a really big difference for them? Should we make that standard for everybody? Or is it potentially even stripping away some features and making it simpler than it is right now in these early versions? Because um, I'll tell you, especially say, um, say on the steering side, some people really like the idea of proactive automated steering. Other customers um, maybe aren't as interested in the steering mm -hmm. itself. They might want just the great uh, predictive automated emergency braking and uh, adaptive cruise control while wanting their drivers to do the full steering. And so it could actually go either way. We might add features and we might sort of take some away. And so that's where we are, trying to get that feedback so that hopefully it's a, it's a pull of fleets demanding the features that actually move the needle on safety and driver recruitment for them uh, versus us finalizing the feature set, having it fixed, and then just trying to walk the hall here and sell as many as I can. <laughs> sure. No, we'll definitely stay tuned and, and uh, watch the rollout as it continues. Um, at Pronto, you're developing self-driving technology that's geared specifically toward commercial trucks. Now, prior to this venture, you helped launch self-driving truck startup Auto that many people remember from the partnership with uh, Anheuser-Busch. Uh, you also uh, worked on uh, Uber Freight, you know, which is the digital freight matching business at Uber. Which uh, is still why, doing really well. Yes, it is. It's, and we're <laughs> watching that for uh, uh, closely uh, as well. Uh, but uh, why have you uh, focused your attention on the trucking industry? You know, why do you see this industry as such a significant opportunity for technology? I think trucking is great because this is the industry where 
where the technology is, where driving, you know, safe driving software technology is, it's the most straightforward and highest value add commercialization opportunity right now. Um, like I said already, the aftermarket um, retrofit path is a viable one in trucking. There's many companies, including at this conference, that are going that route. Um, trucks are very individually specced when fleets order them, so they can customize it exactly the way they want it. You know, the automotive um, segment is just different, right? There's a standard make and model that, you know, we can maybe add a sports package or a navigation package, but it's pretty much an out-of-the-box solution. Whereas in trucking, fleets are very careful about, and there's, you know, real science to it about how they, how they spec their trucks. And as a result, you can really implement these kind of technologies directly to the end user and the customer and, and make it something that they really want and, and add value to them. And it's a business proposition, right? Like I said, it's not a introducing technology where it's sort of a gadget and a cool gadget. It's not just a cool factor, it's an actual business proposition. Mm -hmm. So I think the business to business nature of it uh, is really attractive and, and right. trucking and that's that's what made me excited and you know made me take that turn, uh, I guess now uh, over three years, three and a half years ago when, when we started Auto and now with uh, Pronto. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating to watch, and um, you know, Ogden, you personally have been working with self-driving vehicle technology much longer than that. You know, going back to I believe 2004 with the first DARPA challenge. Uh, so, really, what first attracted you to this form of technology? You know, why did you decide to really dedicate your career to self-driving vehicle technology, and, and what was it about this, the potential, that really yeah. got you into this? I, I'd love to say I, I had a grand vision during the grand <laughs> challenge as a 21-year-old at the time. I mean. Perfectly honestly, it was just a cool engineering project while I was in grad school initially, right? right? It was, um, you know, my friends, um, you know, d deciding to enter this competition. I wasn't the one that decided to join them. Had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then over the years, it kind of turned out it's a real thing that might have a real customer. And, and it took a while, right? I mean, I'd be... Uh, it wouldn't be true to sit here, you know, sit here and say, you know, oh, it, it's working out exactly like we thought. And, you know, there's been a lot of predictions and timelines when we're going to have driverless vehicles. We've been right about some things. We've made a lot of progress over the last 15 years. And frankly, we've been wrong about some things and underestimated some challenges or the way the business model was going to go. Um, but the reason I'm still in it is, I mean, it's endlessly fascinating, yeah. right? Um, and you get to work with industries. Like, I, I didn't imagine when we built that self-driving motorcycle in 2004 that I'd be working in truck, trucking 15 years later or be at this <laughs> conference. Um, but it's fun, right? Yeah. You, you get those interesting career turns and just kind of going with an industry as it's from non-existence to an actual, right? We're now at the point where it's finally starting to become a real yeah. a real business, right? It, it was, it, it's been a series of very cool R&D projects and demonstrations. And now I'm super excited because it's, it's actually a business where you have real customers. Yeah. And, you know, part of the process of, of truly making this a business and commercializing it and, and deploying it is to gain public acceptance uh, from the, you know, the motoring public and also from regulators and legislators. Uh, can you speak to how Pronto has been working to make sure that government and law enforcement and the public understand the technology and they don't become barriers to its deployment? Yeah, well, I think that's key. Um, you know, it used to be, and we didn't do ourselves many favors as an, as an industry, where some years ago we were over-enthusiastic about where the state of technology really is, and sometimes even saying things like, well, if the regulations were in place, then we could have you know, all these amazing autonomous vehicles tomorrow. That, that's just not where the tech is. And I think uh, you know, Secretary Chow has called for you know, strong engagement uh, with the public and with regulators. And, I, and law enforcement is really a critical part of it, right? Because they see, they see a lot of the downside of, of, of you know, a lot of crashes in their careers. They've, a lot of state troopers come up through the, through the 
through the ranks, seeing the worst of the worst as far as crashes. And I think it's critical in us as an industry to not just talk about safety platitudes and the potential for how safety can be increased through automation, because of course that's true in some theoretical sense. But if you to actually capture it and to realize it in public, you have to work within the established system, and that means mm. with law enforcement, with regulators, with the industry, and with the public, because autonomous vehicles and even just um, you know, advanced driver assist systems like Pontos, they're not, they're not being deployed in a vacuum. They're not being deployed in special lanes or special infrastructure that's just for them. We're deploying automation slowly in a very human-centric and well-established driving ecosystem. And to do that, and to do that successfully, uh, you know, we have to we have to work with everybody. The, yep. the established cycle. That's why you know we at Pronto see motor carriers as our customers, not as our competitors. That we're out there to disrupt. We're out there to disrupt software and technology, not not the whole underlying freight supply chain or anything like that. Yep. And when speaking of this topic, uh, just yesterday at this conference, FMCSA Administrator Ray Martinez announced a new initiative to help promote the safety benefits of ADAS, which is Advanced Driver Assist Systems. Uh, if you if you spell out the alphabet soup there, right. Uh, but, Ogden, what are your thoughts on how the industry can promote adoption of active safety systems? You know, there's a lot on the market now, and it's just getting more and more sophisticated, but that doesn't mean that adoption is, is moving rapidly in all cases. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the industry can really move the needle on, on that? Yeah, I'm really, really excited about what Administrator Martinez announced. Uh, can't wait to find out more in the, in the coming days and, and weeks and months. I think... I think that in itself, right? Government stating, FMCSA stating that the road to safety has always been a road of improving technological advancements, right? And so this evolutionary approach that the administration has embraced to start improving and adding more and more advanced driver assist systems, not through a mandate, but rather just encouraging industry to take a look, try it out, see if it's a good fit. Some things will work, like I said, for certain fleets, others won't. And, and I think the way the industry should do it is just, you know, not not sit around and wait necessarily for the OEMs to offer a complete finished product, but rather be out there, try different features, try Prontos, try our competitors, try what the OEMs have, and then, and then just give everybody feedback. And I think it's critical to get drivers trying these technologies out on a limited basis, right? You know, we shouldn't be rolling out millions of units overnight, but drivers should have a chance to try it. Safety managers should have a chance to try it uh, directly, put it in their everyday business operations, and then set feedback. Um, and it's a huge range of features, right? Like some things will be right for some fleets and others won't. I'd be very curious to know what ADAS means for this initiative because a lot of things are labeled, like you said, in the alphabet suit ADAS. Uh, take steering, for example, right? ADAS can mean anything from just a visual or an audio alert that there's a lane departure. That's a type of steering ADAS. It can mean something where if the vehicle starts to depart, it nudges you back into the center of the lane, you know, kind of pushes you a little bit uh, back in, but doesn't steer for you all the time or it can be something like pronto system where it's continually keeping you in the center of the lane and actually doing the steering on an extended period of time all of those are some sort of steering adas and i hope they're all included in, in what's yeah. studied but they shouldn't necessarily be all lumped together in the same bucket because there's different variations on adas there's different safety benefits to different types and they're probably specific to different kind of lanes different kind of operations um, so, so we'll see. We're we're very excited about the initiative overall. Yeah, eager, we're, we're eager at TT to to learn more about uh, exactly what this entails as well. Uh, you know, here at this conference, you know, some of the other big topics of discussion have been proposed changes to driver hours of service rules, uh, industry workforce development. We're constantly hearing about uh, you know fleets that would just love to hire more drivers if they could only find them. Uh, infrastructure improvement is a, is certainly a continuing topic of conversation. 
what are some of the, uh, the topics that are interesting you while you're here? You know, what are some of the conversations that you've been having at, at the show? Yeah, I think it's the ones you outlined. Obviously, first and foremost, it's, it's the announcement you already mentioned from Administrator Martinez. Uh, but the workforce development issues, I think, are huge because we are, we're trying to build a safety product that's not just a safety product, but also one that drivers love. And so the workforce development, recruiting and retention, which, you know, I'm always amazed when I come to these conferences, there are two very different things, right? Driver recruitment versus driver retention that get lumped in together. And I think there's different ways in which we can be part of the solution, hopefully. Uh, talking about that, hours of service is an endlessly interesting one. And I know everybody has a side in that fight and old battle, battle wounds. And maybe I'm sort of late coming <laughs> to this game in, the tra in tracking the last few years. I, you know, I don't sort of necessarily have a dog in that fight, but I do think um, different kinds of driver assist systems, different kind of technologies as they're being integrated on trucks more and more, that should be taken into account into whatever whatever changes are made on hours of service. So hours of service, and I think there's recognition uh, in that by all the stakeholders, the safety advocates, the motor carriers, the administration themselves. So I'm confident that sort of folks will consider what either increased automation or other technologies mean and the kind of implications they have for the hours of service reform. Um, but I don't necessarily have a particular side or right. as far as you know split times or anything like that and <laughs> sure. I'm advocating. I'm just I'm just glad they're considering it and, yeah. and, and, and you know there's an ongoing conversation about it. So mostly for me that's something I'm interested in, but that's something I'm interested in learning about so that I can see if we can be a part of the solution there as opposed to me um, advocating for a particular position. Sure, and then just a final question I'll, I'll leave you with, Ognan. Uh, you know, sort of the crystal ball question I'd love to, to end on. You know, how do you see automated driving technology in trucking evolving in the years ahead? You know, how do you envision uh, the role of the driver and the role of automated driving technology in 5, 10, and 20 years from now? So I definitely have my own opinions on that um, that I could share. And uh, but I want to be careful because you know three years ago I thought things were going to be quite different than they yeah, actually are right. today. Um, but what I'll, what I'll give a quick plug to is you know this kind of question about what, how is this going to look? How is automation going to be integrated into trucking? That's actually the subject of a of a research grant that just got awarded to the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute. Uh, I think just two weeks ago that we'll be participating in as a technology provider. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. You know, they'll be releasing Virginia Tech will be releasing a lot more details about it in the uh, in the weeks ahead. But I think that's a great opportunity for motor carriers to actually get involved, work with us, work with Virginia Tech, and, and try to see what is this. How can you actually integrate these technologies into viable business operations? Not just can you do a technology demo to in the abstract say this is scientifically possible, but rather how can you actually integrate these things into your future commercial operations? So it's a really a business model oriented study of what the future uh, could look like. And so, you know, if anybody listening to this is a motor carrier and wants to get involved, they should reach out to me or to Virginia Tech and we can try to answer that crystal ball question together rather than me offering you my personal opinions because, you know, uh, I have some strong opinions about what I think it's going to look like, but, uh, but I'm, not, I'm not willing to make a bet about what 10 years from now is going to look like. Yes, yeah, the, the crystal ball is still pretty hazy uh, to be sure, but uh, it'll be... Uh, certainly fascinating to to watch how this all develops, and you know this has been a great conversation. You know, lots of insights, but uh, I think that's a good stopping point. Uh, so, just want to thank you again for joining us, Ogden. We really appreciate you taking the time out. I appreciate you having me. We'd like to thank Stone Ridge for helping to support this episode of the Road Show. A replay of the show will appear on the Transport Topics Road Science channel. Until next time, thanks for listening. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.